What am I to do? Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast with Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome back to Razor Branding Podcast. I'm Jackie Russo, and I am thrilled to have with us today what has to be one of Acadiana's emerging leaders. Uh, I can't think of a better way to describe Missy. Uh, the work that she's done through One Acadiana and now her work at Boys and Girls Clubs of Acadiana is just been remarkable. And to do that on a daily basis is kind of a big deal, but to be able to do that through a pandemic is impressive. So before I bring Missy on, I just wanna remind you of a couple of things. One, it's an hour long. We're gonna dig deep into this. I've got the fabled stack of questions right here. So we're gonna be able to dig into a lot of topics of what her past few months have been like and the evolution the clubs have gone through. And also we're available during this hour live for any questions you might have. So hit the Facebook comments, throw them up there and let me know what you wanna know. And Missy's live on the spot, so she has to answer. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Missy Bienvenue Andrade. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Did you get to hear that whole intro? Do you know how impressed I am by you on a regular basis? I heard all the lies you just told. <laughs> no, I yes, I heard, and uh, I appreciate everything that you said. Thank you for um, for that vote of confidence. And sometimes I'm surprised by the people who are, um, you know, who are watching from afar. Not that you're not that you're far, but you know, you and I don't uh, get to work with one another on a daily basis. So it means even more that. Um, you recognize the hard work we're doing each and every day. Well, we used to watch from a close because you lived right across the street. Um, and so you have moved further away. So I am watching from afar, but yes. I am impressed. You know, I, I feel like I assume everybody's my age and I've always assumed that no matter what age I was. And then I remember, oh no, you're literally decades younger. And I look at all that you've managed to accomplish so far and it is impressive. That is a very kind thing to say. It's very uh, true. So I am, I'm 35. And um, when I look back at really like the last six years of my professional career, it seems like that has gone by really quickly. Um, more than anything, I've had some wonderful experiences and, and feel like I've been given some really cool opportunities to lead and to be able to take chances and risks in this space, not only here at Boys and Girls Club, but previously at One Acadiana. Um, so there are some days where I wake up and I definitely feel a little weary and maybe older than 35. Uh, but I'm so grateful for the confidence that people have had in me to lead and to, um, you know, get out there and, and take some risks, all in the spirit of making things better and making our community better. Right. But don't you see those as building blocks? I mean, the work you did at One Acadian and the relationships you formed there have led you right into being successful at the job you have now at Boys and Girls Club? A hundred percent. So my life pre One Acadiana, I was actually a pharmaceutical rep. <laughs> and loved that life. It was really fun. I grew up in healthcare. My father was a physician. So were my grandfathers, one of my brothers. So it was a, a space that um, I felt really comfortable in. And when I was ready to leave that industry and found a, a job uh, opening at what was then the Greater Lafayette Chamber of Commerce, first of all, I didn't know what a chamber was, but I figured, well, if I can sell blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes medications. Surely I can talk about membership to this community organization. Um, and anyway, I remember when I took that chance, uh, my, my dad actually said, you're either going to really love this work and it's going to open doors for you, or you, you know, if you don't love it, you're going to meet more people and more players in the community than you would have in this pharmaceutical space. And he couldn't have been more accurate because not only 
did I get access to the business and community leaders who were, um, you know, active members and investors with that organization. But I got to work with some really awesome people and, and I got to be a part of, you know, what was eventually the creation of One Acadiana, going from a one parish chamber to a multi-parish regional economic development organization. That was a really cool transformation to be a part of. And I got to work with um, just some really smart, uh, intelligent, hardworking, um, talented people, many of which were not from this community, but all moved here working towards the same goal of making Acadiana better. And I saw that transformation happen a little from afar and a little from a close because we got to do some projects with y'all during the transition. Um, and what was amazing to me is the level of talent, you know, either that Jason got to work with, Jason Alcubi, or the people he brought in. And I think it really transformed from a chamber to a regional economic powerhouse. And I think that was his goal. And I think that was a mission accomplished. You know, you're talking about kind of that entry level coming into a nonprofit and community work. I think we need to bring back the gap year. I think either when people finish high school or when they finish college, they should take a year and serve the community in some capacity. How much better could programs like Boys and Girls Club be as well as other nonprofits if we had this talent pool at their beck and call and it gave kids a chance to grow up and learn a little about the world around them. I think that is, um, I think that's a really important thing that, that people are probably missing. For me, I will tell you, um, I graduated from UL with a degree in Latin American history and Spanish. Kind of wanted to be a lawyer for a minute. Okay. Maybe a teacher. I don't really know. Um, but at the same time, I was working for a dance company and uh, traveled extensively, primarily in Central and South America, teaching for them for a few years. So I was teaching dance, the thing that I loved, to people in all these you know, different countries. So I always link you know, my Latin American history and Spanish studies. I got to go and experience and see all of those things. Um, but I will tell you, it wasn't until my work with, with the chamber in Juan Acadiana that in my late 20s, I started having all these thoughts about like, I didn't know you could be that when you grew up or that when you grew up or whatever. I was talking with business owners and people every single day about membership with the organization, but I was spending a lot of time talking about, well, what do you even do here? And uh, I, I just, I found myself surprised, like, how did I not know all of these career options existed? And how did I not know that all of these really talented business owners we're here in Acadiana doing great work. Um, and, you know, I, I was loving the work that I was doing, but there are just many times where I thought, who knew? Who knew you could do that? So I think uh, exposing kids to possibilities is incredibly important. Um, and I think that doing that through a gap year or something similar to that is a, is a, a novel idea. We should explore that more. I think we can. You've had a lot of change that y'all have undergone this year. So before we add another program to your roster, I'd like to talk about the current programs y'all have and mm -hmm. how you've had to adapt. So March 15th comes along. Um, we go into a nationwide, uh, pretty much shelter in place, quarantine, but you still have people in your community to serve. Boys and Girls Club are still even probably more necessary as kids aren't allowed to go back to school. Tell me what y'all went through. What was March and April like for you? Uh, challenging, to say the least. Um, you know, our organization is 50 years old. Uh, we are celebrating 50 years of service in this community this year. We operate five club sites between four parishes 
Um, and when I got here two years ago, we were operating like a 50 year old organization. A lot of what we did was old and antiquated. So we invested in some um, improvements and some changes. Some of that was technological in, late, in nature. Other bits and pieces of that were just about sort of updating our, our processes and our operations. So I share so that. you bought a computer. Basically, you bought a computer. <laughs> Jackie, there was no laptop here when I got here. And I was very confused about how do I wait? Like, what do you do at night when you go home? Anyway, um, <laughs> very confused about that. But yeah, we bought laptops. We uh, we put email on our phones. Oh, um, you crazy kids. I know. We had this membership tracking software that we never really utilized um, to its full capacity that we you know made a concerted effort to really build that out. We redid our website. I mean, we got more active on social media. We did a lot of stuff. Right. But I, I share all that because had we not have done all of that, when March 13th happened and the governor said we're shutting down schools, we really, we would have been extra dead in the water. Right. Um, so I'm very grateful that we had, um, you know, spent time, energy, and money on those things and, and made them a priority beforehand. Um, for people who don't know, we are a after-school and summer program for kids. We exist to serve all kids, but largely when you look at our demographics, 85 to 90 percent of the kids that we serve are African-American. Um, 70 percent of those kids live in a single-parent, non-traditional household. The vast majority of those families report an annual income of less than $30,000 a year. I mean, we're talking about challenging circumstances for many of the kids that we serve. Um, for a lot of them, going to school is, uh, you know, part of how they get fed each and every day. Uh, you know, we don't think of school as childcare, but that's that's the reality. When, when parents go to work and kids go to school, it is a form of, of childcare in addition to being um, an academic institution. Um, for us, when the governor shut things down, we also had to shut things down physically because we were not going to be able to remain within the uh, the recommended guidelines of gathering numbers and that sort of thing. And that was a really huge gut punch when I thought about, okay, our value has been associated with a physical space, you know, by four walls for 50 years. We've told kids, if you can get to us, we can do our job and, and serve you. And suddenly you were in a situation where that's out the window. They can't get to you. So how do you continue serving and how do you remain relevant? So admittedly, I cried during the first week because I just felt pretty paralyzed as a leader um, and was pushed uh, with, uh, I think, the right kind of intention from a number of people to say, this is where you grow. This is where you adapt. This is where you change. You are cut out for this. You can make hard decisions during this shift no, go and do it. Right. Do it. I needed a couple of people to kind of like push me out of, oh my God, what are we going to do to putting one foot in front of the other to say, no, we are needed and, and we're going to do this. So um, there was a, a lot of layers of what we uh, kind of built out. But number one, we had our staff uh, pivot and actively reaching out to all of our club families to say, do you have what you need? And at our, at its most basic level, do you have adequate access to food? Are you concerned about that? We were able to connect them with existing resources in the community to make sure they had what they needed. Um, in addition to that, we use that as an opportunity to say like, Hey, if we stand up virtual programming, are you going to be able to take advantage of this? Do you have access to internet? Do you have a device in your home? 
if you have a device, is it a smartphone, is it a computer, a laptop, whatever it may be. Um, we gathered a lot of really great information. And in you know a few weeks into the shutdown, uh, we did move to a virtual programming space offering programming from about nine to six o'clock every day online, knowing that kids weren't going to be sitting in front of a computer. But um, as a parent, if you you know wanted your kid to participate in STEM activities or a reading hour or um, you know an art project, whatever, all of that was available to you throughout the day. And a beautiful thing that came out of it is for the first time ever, geography wasn't a barrier. You know, it wasn't about if you could get to our building, then we could serve you. This was the first time we could say, we're coming to you. We're going to be in your home. Um, another element of what we did was um, establish some kind of online small group mentoring Zoom calls. So safety is at, at the, the top of what we do. And this online world introduces uh, a number of elements, as you can imagine, of um, just some soft spots where kids can, you know, be in compromising positions and whatever. So we retrained our staff on some internet specific um, tools and trainings and that sort of thing. And then we we stood up these small group sessions. And in many cases, kids just wanted to see their their staff and their friends from the club to say, well, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you struggling with anything? Um, and I know it was really great for the kids, but I also want to point out that for our staff, going from, you know, being in front of kids every day, seeing, hearing, and feeling your impact to then having to like step back and, and do all of that through a computer. Um, it, it was a, it was a challenge, but I think for them, it was probably just as beneficial to our staff members as it was to our kids to know that they were still able to serve and to provide that really important love and support to our kids in a new way through a, you know, a new virtual space. Um, so we, you know, check the box. That was a success. And moving forward, we now have the tools to operate virtually. Um, in addition to that, we knew that food was going to be a huge component of this shutdown. And we looked to all of our school districts first to say, well, what are you doing? If you've got this handled, then we're going to take a step back. We're not going to get involved because we didn't want to duplicate those efforts. Right. Um, but it did become clear around spring break that a lot of the emergency meal to you, the meal delivery stuff that uh, districts were trying to stand up, there was a lot of uncertainty there. Um, there was a lot of uh, confusion about when was the actual start date. And there were just a lot of moving parts. And at that point, we stepped forward with um, the Three O'Clock Project, who has done some amazing work with meal distributions across the state. They've been a partner to us for years, helping us to feed kids in our clubs. We, um, we stepped up with them, went to a couple of the communities and said, we can stand in the gap. We can set up these meal distribution sites uh, with you know a, a box of meals fed a kit for a week, breakfast and lunch for an entire week. And we said, well, we can do this. So in the first week, I think there were two or three sites that we helped to manage. And over the course of, I don't know, six or eight weeks, um, the Boys and Girls Club team was managing about eight of those sites in Acadiana. And um, I know that millions and millions and millions of meals were handed out. Uh, and that was another opportunity for us to um, 
kind of stand in the gap. We weren't the only solution, but we knew we we could be a part of, you know, kind of adding an option in these communities for those people who didn't qualify for the delivery, um, the meal delivery option, or, um, you know, didn't even have access to something like that. So between Lafayette, St. Landry, Vermilion, and Iberia, uh, we estimate that our team, of course, working with Three O'Clock Project, probably handed out about 1.4 million meals wow. between early April and the end of May. Uh, no, are y'all still doing meals through summer? The meals are still happening. So we opened our clubs a few weeks ago. I know we'll we'll talk about that in a moment, but we knew that in anticipation of opening our clubs, we had to scale back with um, our involvement with the meal distributions. We worked really hard to kind of hand those off to the right partners, but we had to get our team back to, you know, getting the facilities ready, preparing uh, programming and different things for the kids. And that was going to be too challenging to do while we were doing um, the meal distributions. So all that being said, they're still happening and we are still in a support role with uh, the distributions happening in Acadiana, but we're not as involved day to day as we were originally. That's still so impressive. Uh, Chris Balfour just posted a question. He said, what's the age range of the children and what type of activities does the Boys and Girls Club offer? So let's roll right into what does summer look like at the Boys and Girls Club? So we serve kids ages 6 to 18. Uh, And when kids come to our club, uh, everything that we do, I think it's more structured than people realize. Um, There are really three priority outcomes that we focus on, and all of our programming really rolls up into those three items. So academic success, good character and citizenship, and healthy lifestyles. So some of what our kids do is academic in nature. One program that we have uh, focused our efforts on this summer is called Summer Brain Gain. We know that kids have been out of school for an extended period of time, and we're going to try and do our part to close that learning loss gap while they're with us at the club before they go back to school in the in the fall. Um, we also, during our regular after school program, we're doing homework help and tutoring with the kids uh, in an effort to give them the academic support that they need that maybe they're not getting at home. Uh, we know that some kids, uh, that book sack is not going to get opened when they get to their house. So if we can handle that at the club, we want to be able to do that. On the character and citizenship piece, you know, it is our goal to empower kids and to provide them with opportunities and experiences that enhance their lives in every way. And some of those programs are related to actual you know, the growth and development of these kids. So you have um, programs like um, Girls on the Run, Smart Girls. Uh, those obviously are intended for young women. But then we also have Passport to Manhood and a couple of other programs that are specific to young men. And, you know, on that front, teaching them how to shake someone's hand and look them in the eye and how to tie a tie and those types of things. Um We also have some programs in the club that are almost, uh, I hate to call them like student council, but sort of Keystone Club, Torch Club, where kids are a part of a group where they're given leadership opportunities, responsibilities. Um, They will host listening sessions in their clubs to make sure that, uh, you know, they're listening to what kids want and we're able to turn that into programming. And on the healthy lifestyles front, I do think traditionally people think of Boys and Girls Club as a like a recreational uh, facility. And we do have that. Kids play basketball. We 
for a long time, we had a gentleman who came a couple of days a week and taught golf lessons to our kids. Um, we've had dance teachers come in and teach a regular dance class. There's also an element of that about healthy eating habits and taking care of your body. And so we partner with entities like the Junior League to um, offer programs that teach kids how to prepare a healthy smooth, a healthy food. Or I got pictures earlier this year about the kids trying a green smoothie for the first time. <laughs> it's the first time they had eaten spinach or kiwi or all these things that had been blended into a drink. Um, so there's, there's a lot of layers to what we do. You know, more than anything, we want kids to come into our clubs. We want them to know that it's safe and it's fun. But all of those programs are intended to develop them as people and to fill in the gaps in their lives where maybe they're missing something. And Boys and Girls Club can come in um, and make their, their world experience a little bit more well-rounded. That's awesome. Uh, Chris Balfour replied, that's fantastic. And and I think probably what Chris is experiencing and I'm experiencing is just sheer amazement at how much wider and deeper the club is than I think most people realize. I think most people associate it with kids getting together and playing basketball after school. Mm-hmm. But as you've pointed out with the three service lines, it's so much deeper than that. I do think for a long time, even, you know, our own organization, because there are thousands of boys and girls clubs across the country. Um, for a long time, things were more unstructured and it was just about, well, let's just come to the club and we're going to hang out. And, and those elements still exist. And it's important for kids to have the opportunity to be kids. But when we talk about, I, I talk to my staff often about, you know, three huge priorities of mine is ensuring that our clubs are safe, that our staff is trained and that our programming is high quality. Um, I want any parent to walk into our clubs and to say, this is good enough for my child. This is going to provide a worthwhile experience for them. And we want to be a part of this. What I don't want is for Boys and Girls Club to be someone's last option or the cheapest option. Uh, We have the opportunity to really make a difference in the lives of the kids that we serve. And you don't do that by just being, you know, unstructured and saying, well, just, you know, do whatever you want. We build in those opportunities to choose. We want kids to know that they they have a choice in what they participate in, but we feel like we're going to be our most successful whenever we're hiring great people to work with our kids. We're doing everything that we can to ensure the safety of our kids. And now in this new world, that not only means a safe facility, but are you training your staff adequately to provide Um, a safe space emotionally for kids. And then in the virtual space, what are you doing to keep kids safe online? And what are you doing to educate them about the dangers of that? Um, And then on the quality programming piece, um, we know that every child is going to have a different experience when they come to us. But it is important and it's critical that we are thoughtful about the programming that we create that we understand the, the gaps in, our, in, the, in the lives of the kids that we serve so that we can build out, you know, programmatic offerings that make sense. There are a number of our kids who they're not going to have the opportunity to be a part of a dance studio and be in a dance recital. I'm going to use this as an example um, for a number of reasons. Maybe their parents work and they just don't have that flexibility, or maybe they don't have the financial means to be a part of that. But if we can identify a group of kids who are just dying to dance and they need that opportunity, we can find a partner in, in the Cadiana. We can bring them in and we can offer that to those kids. And who knows, maybe we have the next Misty Copeland in our club who's just never had the opportunity 
to learn about ballet and dance. Uh, but we can bridge that gap and do something great for kids who might not be experiencing things on, you know, on the outside. So uh, it is more than what meets the eye. And if we weren't in this post-COVID pandemic, I don't know what, I would say, you know, come on, let's go do a tour at the club. But in the spirit of safety, our clubs are currently only open to our club kids and to our staff. Uh, but to see it in action, I think, is something that's really cool. And most people walk away and say, I had no idea what y'all were doing in this building. Yeah, it's tough being a best kept secret, you know. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned being the cheapest option. Talk a little bit about the cost for someone to participate as a, a kid in the club. So this has evolved over time. But I will tell you that, um, you know, typically families are investing annually $100, $200 in, in what we offer. And that includes uh, an after-school program from three to seven and a summer program from 7.30 to 5.30, typically. That's a little bit different right now with COVID. But, you know, we never want cost to be a barrier for the families who need the services of the Boys and Girls Club. And we partner with people often, you know, corporate entities who say, well, we want to come and offset the cost for families. Um, but I'll tell you right now for our summer program, it's a six week program, Monday through Friday, 930 to 530 with breakfast, lunch and a snack included. And that entire program is one hundred dollars. It's three dollars a day. Wow. Um, and historically, the dues portion of our budget is like five to eight percent. I mean, we are not going to survive off of off of fees alone, which is why it's so critical that people in this community support the work that we do and invest in the kids that we serve. Um, otherwise, we can't, you know, we can't do the job. But, you know, I feel like we are so committed to providing a valuable experience um, that I don't want people to look at, at the cost and say, well, that's not worth my money or whatever it would be. I want people to feel like I'm getting such an incredible deal because they are providing my child with such a high quality experience that this, this is a wise investment for our family. Um, but we, you know, we keep those costs low intentionally. And when people are not able to pay, we do all that we can to help them close the gap. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, we don't want to turn anyone away and we never want it to be because of money. Right. Um, Anita Begno's watching. She said, so proud of the work Missy and her team are doing. And I know y'all go all the way back to the one Acadiana days. Um, we go way back to 20, uh, 2014, wow. I think is when she and I started working together. Mm-hmm. Pre-COVID, it feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, Lauren yes. Olivier is watching and she says, love it. I know that everybody who's watching and is hearing you talk about the programs has to be impressed. Uh, so one of my longtime friends, uh, actually a sorority sister from my five new days at UL, Rachel Falgu, worked for Boys and Girls Club National. Um, yep. So 26-year long uh, member. And she would talk about the leadership programming that I know she had a big hand in nationally with the clubs nominating um, the student of the year. Talk a little mm -hmm. bit about those leadership programs and the kind of exposure that kids get from it. Yeah. So um, I'm going to talk about the youth of the year program. And I Thank think you. that Rachel was a part of, of yes. that the national program. Okay. So the youth of the year program um, I didn't know anything about it whenever I started working here. I've obviously learned about it over time, uh, but it's an incredible opportunity for kids for a number of reasons. So 
in each one of our clubs, uh, they will find opportunities to recognize kids. That's kind of a, a foundational piece of what we do. And it's something we ask ourselves, are we recognizing our kids for the great work that they do? I should probably ask myself more often, are we recognizing our staff for the great work that they do? But this is sort of like a, you know, a stepping stone. So recognizing a youth of the month. I know at some of our clubs, they do two age groups. They'll do a younger one and an older one. Um, where they recognize their hard work, their contributions, and, and really what they're doing around the club. At the end of the year, each one of our club locations um, selects a, a youth of the year for their community. Uh, so because we have five sites, we have you know five youth of the year currently who come to compete against one another to become the Acadiana Youth of the Year. Um, and we hosted that in January, again, pre-COVID, one million years ago. Right. We hosted that in January. And uh, Zantre Scott from Abbeville, from our Vermilion Club, was selected as the Acadiana Youth of the Year. And one thing I, I really love about Zantre is he actually competed last year, too, as a junior and did a great job. Uh, he had some room to grow and some things that he knew he needed to work on. But in the Youth of the Year competition, each kid... Uh, pulls together a three minute speech where they talk about what boys and girls club means to them. And they kind of share their boys and girls club experience so that you as the audience, the listener, the judge uh, can understand the impact that that club has made in their life. Um, and so Zantre did an excellent job as did the other, uh, the other candidates who competed. Um, he ultimately was selected as the Acadiana youth of the year and Ironically, Boys and Girls Clubs of Acadiana uh, had had stepped up to host the Louisiana State Youth of the Year competition. It was supposed to be held April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd with um, some really cool things that the kids were going to be able to experience here in Lafayette. Of course, that didn't happen. Uh, but they did do a virtual Louisiana Youth of the Year on June 19th, and uh, I promise it was not rigged. But Zantre did win. He became yes. the Louisiana State Youth of the Year. And we're super proud of him. Honestly, one of my favorite parts of his story is that he is working with us in our club this summer. So he has graduated from Abbeville High School, and he is now a member of our staff, giving back to the organization that, uh, in his own words, really gave him so much. Uh, and then Zantre is going to have the opportunity to compete for the Southeast Regional Youth of the Year against all the state winners from the Southeast. He's already secured, um, I think, $3,500 in scholarships towards his education. And this goes all the way, obviously, to the National Youth of the Year. And uh, once upon a time, I don't remember the year, but a Lafayette um, candidate was the National Youth of the Year. Wow. Yes, back in the or maybe the early 80s. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, and at that level... I mean, that whoever wins the National Youth of the Year, I mean, they go on tour. They, they visit the White House. They meet Denzel Washington. They have a ton of speaking engagements. I think one of the, I said this earlier, one of the greatest pieces about this program is the opportunity, um, number one, to recognize a kid for, for their contributions and what they're doing. But giving them that opportunity to, um, to speak to people and to, to work that muscle of, how do you express yourself in front of a group of people? How do you present to a group of professionals? All of those things like that is going to be uh, an unbelievably helpful part of any kid's life as they move into interviewing for a job, you know, anything like that. Uh, 
a high school kid is probably not going to be real comfortable in that space, but they're given the opportunity to get coached and trained. Uh, and no matter where they go in their life, to me, it's like such a useful skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've all opened that up and I would open up to anyone who's listening to this um, between now and, and early September, if you would like for Zantre to speak to your team, whether that's virtually um, or to, you know, come in and, and, just give his sort of testimony about his Boys and Girls Club experience and have the chance to ask him some questions, we're happy to set that up. It's good for him because he gets to practice. Um, It's good for you because you get to see uh, what these great kids are doing in the community, the work that they're doing and their plans for the future um, and really how Boys and Girls Club is woven into the fabric of that. So if somebody's interested in that, share the contact information so that Michael can put it up on the screen and people can know how to facilitate that contact. Sure. They can email me directly, mandrade at bgcacadiana.com. Um, and we'll set that up You know, with the, the beauty of Zoom and the beauty of this virtual world. It's something we can turn around really quickly. Um, and Zantre has gotten comfortable in that space. And we have the opportunity um, to really share his message and his story. And it's, like I said, it's good practice for him. If you're looking for a way to expose your team to a nonprofit in the community or um, just expose them to what Boys and Girls Club does, expose them to an opportunity to, uh, to give back to an entity in the community, this would be a very easy way to do that. Right. Uh, So Emily Wright is watching. She says, always so impressive. Great work, miss. And Alex Lazard, another amazing One Acadiana alum um, who has gone out and made the world a better place, says, yes, go Zantre. Um, You know, as a former high school and college speech and debate champion, which I try to work into every conversation when given the opportunity, I think giving um, these kids the life skills of knowing how to talk to a group, knowing how to prepare and deliver a speech, these are life long success skills that will serve them so well, no matter what they do professionally, they'll do it better because of this training. So I'm so glad you're doing this. And Zantre is actually, he'll be attending UL and he's majoring in engineering. Um, And I mean, we have, we all know engineers that, that we love speaking in front of a group of people is not always the strength of an engineer who tends to be very analytical and detail oriented. So I think about that too. Like he's, you know, this is great for him because he is clearly, um, you know, very specific. He's good at math, all, all that stuff, but he's able to work this other side of his brain as well. You know, what a what a great combination when you can do both. Right. No, you're um, giving him the keys to success. He's going to be light years ahead of the other engineers, including the one that I gave birth to that's a sophomore at UL in mechanical engineering and could not speak in front of a group like he can. So that's awesome. <laughs> Um, your mom is watching and she says she's very proud of you missy mom hey mom (laughs) thanks appreciate it um so you mentioned denzel washington um we got to work together on a project in la back in the day called virtuosity uh he was the lead and then uh russell crowe was his co-star so i got to spend about a year on set Uh, a lot of night shoots in downtown los angeles it was a very interesting process we can talk about off camera someday um but he talks often and favorably about what he thinks boys and girls club 
club did for him and putting him on the right path. And I know he's been a great spokesperson for the clubs. Talk to me about some other famous alums that have come through. <laughs> As Michael has mentioned, that is my first official name drop of the day. There will be more. Um, so other than my best friend, Denzel, who else are some of the big names that people would be amazed to know got their start as a kid in the club? Yeah, our, our good friend Shaq. Uh, I think that Shaq grew up in the Northeast and attended a club um, up there. And uh, I know just recently he hosted a virtual fundraiser for Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Uh, so we do need to get Shaq into our club. Let's put that into the universe. Like when you leave Reds, Shaq, just come drive over to our club. We'd love to see you. We'll release the COVID restrictions for his visit. Other people need to do it virtually, but he can make an in-person visit. He can. And if we need to get a hazmat suit or something like that, I will work on it. Just a really big mask. Yeah, we can do it. I know we can do it. You figure he's so tall, though. His droplets will go into the atmosphere. They will not fall down upon people. (laughs) You're right. You're totally right. Uh, Jennifer Lopez is actually a former club kid uh, from the Northeast as well. Um, Dak Prescott. I mean, you, there's a lot of athletes that people know of um, who were once, you know, once upon a time, part of a club, not a club member, but Oprah Winfrey has actually funded a club in her hometown of Kosciuszko, Mississippi, um, and continues to support that club heavily because she knows what it's like to grow up um, in poverty and without a ton of opportunity. And, uh, you know, Denzel talks often about Um, a boys and girls club providing access to people. And I think that's one of the things that resonates most with me as we think about, well, what can we do and, and and what, you know, at the core of our mission, what are we doing? Um, Really providing kids with access to opportunity and experiences that they they just may not be getting elsewhere. Uh, We have a number of kids who talk about like, you know, the first time I ever went on a plane was for this Boys and Girls Club conference that I got to be a part of. Um, there's a lot of firsts, I think, that are experienced at a club. Uh, and that's impactful. I'm sure we can all think about those, you know, identify those moments in our lives that were the first of something. And you remember where you were, who you were with, who gave you that opportunity, who believed in you. I think of those things often in my own life. And, uh, You know, it's not lost on me that I'm now in this position where my mission every single day is about, well, okay, well, how do I how do I pay that forward? How do I give these kids those opportunities? And one of the coolest things um, for me, there are no one ever hears about our mission and says, well, that is so dumb. You know, why would you why would you want to serve kids and give them these opportunities? More than anything, people are really interested in how they get involved, how they give back. Um, And that's where I see my strength here as the leader of this organization is because I can connect those dots between the people who are, um, they have the capacity and the willingness to give of their time and their talent, their treasure. And I, I represent these kids who maybe don't have that same voice and we can meet in the middle and do some really cool things together. Right. I, I read two articles back to back recently that seem to have a connective thread that I think you touched on earlier. So I want to circle back to it. Uh, one was a town and it was a smaller town than Lafayette, but still a, a, a city that was able to eradicate homelessness. And the other was another town. And I think this case, it was Chicago. So a big city that was able to dramatically improve graduation rates from like 40 percent to 76 percent in the span of just a couple of years 
years. And the common thread in both articles was that they started with understanding exactly who needed what. And so they literally created a list. And so once they had a list of understanding who needed housing, who needed food, who needed a job, who needed a GED, who needed, you know, what services did you need? Then they were able to facilitate that and then provide ongoing support to make sure that was um, a, a continuing solution. They didn't drift out of success. And so when you talk about the transition that y'all made during your pandemic pivot, it sounded like you did the same thing. You started with understanding what everybody needed. Yeah. Our, our greatest asset um, typically is our physical spaces. You know, there are a lot of people who offer services, work with kids, but they don't have a, a space. So, you know, for years now, we bring those things to our kids. During our pandemic pivot, when we couldn't get people in our building, we still, uh, I mean, we doubled down on, all right, well, we still, we're going to access these people and we're going to figure out what it is that they need. And it wasn't about, well, you know, Boys and Girls Club now needs to suddenly have the, um, the answer for, hunger or homelessness or whatever it may be, because we did have families experiencing both. But what it did mean was we could be the connector and the conduit to those resources that existed. And I don't know if we, if we had always seen ourselves in that way, uh, but certainly that's, that's sort of how everything evolved was, well, here are our people, our clients, our constituents, whatever you want to call them. I mean, they're, here they are. And we have the ability to say, Tell us exactly what you need, and then we're going to figure out a way to get you those things. And and I will say, I think that the COVID is going to shift the nonprofit space. I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, I think that there's there's going to be kind of an evolution that is a reverberation of what happened with COVID. And we have some really incredible um, nonprofit leaders in this community who more than, you know, than I ever remember are incredibly willing to work with one another and to get creative to solve these larger issues. I also see a lot of private business and industry who are, they're really stepping up to say, how can I be a part of the solution? So, um, you know, it didn't mean that we had to have all of the answers. It meant that we needed to find out what the needs were and then connect people, you know, where we could. And we want to continue building upon that for sure. Absolutely. Um, Amy Barber's watching and she says, your innovation and forward movement are so valuable to our community. More access to opportunity and experiences. I absolutely agree. Keep pushing such worthy work. Thank um, you, Amy. Amy's another one of those people in the community. She's doing incredible things. I think people are, are going to start to learn more about her work at the university. Um, and Amy, I owe you an email. So uh, we, we need to expand that opportunity and the Boys and Girls Club opportunity to more kids. Um, you know, I could argue that every small town, and I'll just say Louisiana, every small town in Louisiana could benefit from a Boys and Girls Club. It's not always that simple. Um, and we get calls from communities constantly, both near and far, saying our kids don't have anything to do. They don't have a safe place to be. We need a club. Um, and so there's a lot of really great things happening in our state right now to hopefully help to bridge that gap a little bit. We're not trying to do some massive expansion into every pocket of the state, but the need is great in Louisiana when it comes to our kids. Um, it can feel like a very challenging and heavy um, conundrum to try and solve, but you gotta start somewhere. And Boys and Girls Club can be a really interesting piece of that puzzle in supporting kids 
um, socially, emotionally, academically, all of that. Uh, and we get to work with really awesome people like Amy to try and figure out how to, you know, get this out to more people. Which is awesome. Uh, Kimberly Thibodeau is watching. She says, always so proud to see the work you have accomplished. Keep up the good work. She is my art teacher in high school, and I just love her. <laughs> um, oh, Amy says that you have already answered several of the questions in this interview. So the email may not even be necessary now. Look at you getting ahead of your work. <laughs> um, Missy, when you look at the entire population that fit the demographic profile of the kids you serve, what percent do you think you're actually reaching? I guess I'm trying to figure out how much of the need is still out there, you know? So, okay, I, I could, we, there's so much data to dig into. And I really do think that if I'm going to be the optimist that I try to be every day, something that's going to come out of this COVID situation is a lot of data, a lot of data that is going to be hard to look at and hard to stomach, but a realization that like the need is so great that we're not scratching the surface. So we typically serve um, in Acadiana about 5,000 kids annually. About half of those are registered members who are attending regularly our after school and our summer program. Um, the other kids involved in that number are people that we're encountering in other you know, programs and outreach and things that we're doing in the community. But in Lafayette Parish alone, I think we have 23,000 kids in the public school system. Uh, based on some recent data, I think the number of kids without internet and or device is about 5,500. Um, and it's not to say that every single one of those kids should be at a Boys and Girls Club, but I could probably argue that, okay, well, if you need a place to be after school with internet access and help to do whatever you need to do academically, I mean, probably there's a large group of those kids who could use our, our services. Um, so in terms of, you know, what, what the number of kids we should be reaching, I mean, I think if we're doing a great job, we should be reaching, I don't know, 10,000, 15,000. Uh, but you can't do that in two buildings in Lafayette. Right. And, that, and I'm just talking about Lafayette specifically. Um, there would have to be a much broader... Uh, approach and discussion about um, youth services in general and how do you overcome geographical barriers, transportation barriers um, to provide those services to the kids who need it. And in some communities, Boys and Girls Clubs are located on school campuses. So right. it, it totally removes the transportation challenge. Uh, but then there's new challenges, of course, that that pop up whenever you're operating on a school campus and not in a club. But I, I think that there's a lot of really awesome people I'm having the youth development conversation right now. Um, I, I'm grateful that Boys and Girls Club is a part of that. And we have spent so much time in the last two years really focused on how do we do what we do as best as possible? How do we build our systems internally so that they are scalable? How do we, um, how do we just become the best organization that we can be? So if and when the opportunity arises where we are needed to expand what we do and offer our services in new places that, um, you know, in some ways you're always going to be building the plane while you fly it, but that more of that has been figured out uh, before we kind of embark on those. And, and there's lots of opportunities out there and conversations we're having right now, particularly as we think about going back to school and the challenges that the school system is going to face uh, in trying to get kids on campus, but keep them socially distanced and, and all of that. And so I think that the, the conversation is in a really interesting space and continuing to evolve. 
um, because the school system can't do it alone. And so how do entities like Boys and Girls Club once again step up to fill in the gap and, uh, and, and be an extra support and resource to the kids and families that we serve? You touched on something that has has been on my mind through my time at Leadership Lafayette Leadership Louisiana. We talk about resources and maximizing resources. So you have facilities that are unused during the school day until three. And the schools have resources that are unused after the school day beginning at three. So I think the communities where they've managed to merge the kids and the facilities with the after school team make the most use of resources and facilities. So sure. have y'all had those conversations with LPS to say, rather than you try to figure out how to get your kids to us, let us bring in a team to you and the kids don't have to move? So in some ways, I want to say years ago, there was one instance or maybe two uh, school campuses that did have an after-school program. And I wasn't here and I don't know a lot about that chapter, but um, I will tell you um we are right now, we are talking with all of the school districts that we serve, not only to talk about short term solutions, what are we doing five weeks from now when kids go back to school, but also planting the seed for some long term uh, solutions. Because for us, uh, I kind of feel like um, for many years, Boys and Girls Clubs uh, didn't, not that they didn't have a seat at the table, but that we weren't necessarily factored into this larger equation. Um, and so it is my goal that we understand what our districts, our school districts need, what the gaps are, um, what are the gaps that the kids are experiencing, and then how do we really come up with a solution together? Uh, we are not an academic institution, but we can support kids academically. The school system wants kids to um, succeed to pass, to move on to the next grade, we can be a part of that equation. Additionally, I'm hearing our superintendents talk about, um, you know, the concerns they have about mental health with their students following this shutdown. And so how can we help to support kids socially and emotionally? And that's a big piece of what we already do. So I share all of that because um, have we talked about it a little bit. We have planted those seeds. And, and some of these, you know, conversations have been happening for a long period of time. But I think that we are all in this community in a really interesting spot where um, there's a recognition that we're going to succeed together. And so planting those seeds now to figure out, okay, how do we operate in this new post-COVID environment, but also a year down the road, two years down the road, how are we strengthening this partnership so that we are enhancing one another's missions in a more intentional way. Because I'm with you, there's a smarter way to do it. When I think about uh, expansion, it doesn't necessarily mean building new buildings. Right, right. Uh, and, and I've learned in this job, maintaining those physical spaces there, it's unbelievably expensive. So if there's a way for us to bring our really great programs, um, our safe club, club atmosphere, the, um, the trained staff, you know, that I talked about, if we can bring that to spaces and, and maximize resources, as you said, we want to be able to do that. Absolutely. So I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about one of the branding challenges that you face, uh, which is there's another national organization that you are often confused with. Yeah. Um, so you are Boys and Girls Clubs, and then there's also Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Yes. So my good friend, Callie. 
Callie and I, 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 you know, we oftentimes call one another. We got to check for you guys. Someone's calling to volunteer, but they really want to volunteer with you. We have to kind of go back and forth with it. But yes, there is a lot of confusion uh, between boys and girls clubs and big brothers, big sisters. And I guess we have further confused that because we now offer a big brothers, big sister program at one of our boys and girls clubs. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. But here's uh, how I sort of break it down for people. A boys and girls club is a physical space where kids are coming after school and during the summer. And Big Brothers Big Sisters is founded on one-to-one mentorship. So physical space, they do have an office, but um, if you're a part of that organization, you don't necessarily go to a physical space. Um, mentorship is a foundational component of both of our organizations. Right. Okay. We talk about mentorship. They talk about mentorship. Um, we uh, found an opportunity through a local uh, foundation who wanted to fund a, a kind of a collaborative um, partnership where we wanted to bring the big brothers, big sisters mentorship component on site to our Granberry boys and girls club so that our club kids would have an exclusive opportunity to get matched with a big um, who would visit them regularly once a week, once a month um, and establish an, you know, a positive adult uh, role model relationship with them. Um, so there is a lot of confusion between the two, but uh, I get it because there's some crossover and there's some great work that we can do together. And uh, it's been awesome working with Callie and her team. And even in this post COVID world, uh, we've been able to, I know Callie's team has been able to match up virtually some of our kids with some of the big. So it, we didn't let COVID get in the way of meeting this new person who's going to um, support you and be a part of your life. Uh, we enlisted the help of Zoom and uh, we were able to do that virtually, which I think is really cool. And we're always looking for opportunities to partner with other um youth serving organizations and nonprofits in town. I wish there was more of that conversation because man, we do a lot of the same stuff, but we don't always talk to one another about it. Right. Uh, Callie's been an awesome partner in that space. That is awesome. Um, mm -hmm. So we have now gotten to the last set of questions, which is the lightning round. Are you prepared? Yes. Okay. Um, what is your favorite place on earth? Maho Bay, St. John, U.S. Virgin Islands. Very nice answer. Um, mm -hmm. I hope that you have plans to travel there as soon as COVID is lifted because Fingers that's where you need to relax and recover from all this. Um, what's the movie that once it's on, you just can't turn it off? I love the movie Willow. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome answer. I love it. Um, it reminds TV... me of my childhood. Oh, what TV show do you love to binge watch? I don't watch a lot of TV, but mm -hmm. does Netflix count? Oh, yes. All right. I've watched Breaking Bad twice. Ooh, that is a good one. That is a good mm -hmm. one. Um, what's a book that you just tend to reread every once in a while or you think everybody needs to have on their shelf? Um, I have reread uh, The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho mm -hmm. a couple of times. It is a it's a short book. Um, it's a feel good book. And for me, it's just that uh, that really great reminder of like, you know, setting your intentions and putting great things out into 
into the universe. I don't want that to sound crazy, but, you know, ultimately being a, a great person and recognizing that people are going to help you achieve what you're, what you're setting out to do. Right. I uh, forced the kids to join a Russo family book club of the summer. Um, <laughs> And I say forced because I had to pay them to participate, but worth it. Um, and so one of them read The Alchemist because they were looking for the smallest books in the stack, you know, because they had to read from a certain collection. And, um, and so she read it and she was like, I mean, it's kind of like manifesting good stuff. I said, in a nutshell, yeah, but it's a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're slowly turning them into people who read things of substance, even if it's $10 at a time. That's awesome. Um, podcast that you love to listen to. Um... I just started listening to a podcast called Make Me Smart. Oh, do tell. Uh, well, honestly, it's um, it's a different topic every day. And, and I started listening to it because there was something specific about childcare and, and how the economy is going to continue to struggle to recover if we as a nation don't really look at the childcare equation in a more... Um, serious way that people can't get back to work if they don't have a place for their kids to go, period. Um, But it's one of those podcasts that um, provides some good, you know, factual, uh, time-sensitive information that just makes me feel like I'm getting someone else's perspective on something important happening in the world in a digestible Form. It's not, you know, hours and hours and hours. It's something I can listen to pretty quickly, get good information. Also really like the skim. I've turned a few Ooh, people on that. Skim. Yeah. The skim is the same thing. I can listen to it on my drive home and it gives me a nice little recap of some of the current events that maybe I missed throughout the day. All right. I just wrote make me smart down so I can add that to my subscription list. Uh, speaking of drive home, favorite car, either one you have had in the past or want to have in the future. Um. So I learned how to drive a Suburban, like an old school Suburban, because we had so many kids in our family. And two and a half years ago, I got a Yukon and felt like I was finally back home. That's awesome. A lot of room to move. (laughs) Yes. Um, Favorite festival? Oh, Festival International. Yeah, which we all missed this year, quite sadly. Um, Pettiest pet peeve? Um. People smacking and popping their gum and chewing ice. There's a word for it. Like I have it, whatever the phobia is, it's Mm me. And uh, I blame my cousins, Alicia Gandy and Ruthie Laporte. They don't like people smacking. And I think as a child, I heard them have an issue with it. And I took a huge issue with it. And so anyone will tell you, like my kids do it to make me mad. My brothers still do it. And it makes me a crazy person. Um, Yes, I have, you know, obviously fine muse um, and grown up with your cousins and then having kids with um, Alicia at school. Uh, Those are good girls to model your bad habits after, I would say, (laughs) for sure. For sure, for sure. Favorite musician? Favorite musician is probably Bob Marley. Okay. Yeah. Anyone who's ever shared an office with me will tell you reggae is always playing in the background and going back to that Maho Bay conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that subconsciously just like, even in in the the craziness, I just want to be at the beach. So then yet the movie cocktail with Tom Cruise, an American classic is not your favorite movie. That is shocking to me. I've never seen it. (gasps) Oh, we have to fix that almost immediately. (laughs) I feel an outdoor movie night coming on. (laughs) I'm in. It's a classic. 
it's one of the greatest American movies of all time. Um, if you're on stage performing karaoke, what song are you singing? Once in Mexico, um, I was singing karaoke and a waitress requested a song for me. <laughs> and it was um, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. And I just want y'all to know I don't sing like Celine Dion. Okay. All right. I bet the waitress maybe later regretted that decision. I don't know. She seemed to enjoy it, but I was like, how is this happening right now? This is the hardest song ever. Ever. And I think she's like, I'm being victimized in some way right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, your favorite sport to watch or play? Many people don't consider dance a sport, but it is an athletic and uh, super challenging thing. And that was my sport of choice. So I'm going with dance. Final question. Judges say we will count dance and cheer as valid sports. See, I like it. Yeah. Favorite way that you treat yourself. Um, This is going to sound so dumb, but I uh, go to Reds every morning because I want to exercise and be healthy, but it is like, it is, it's, that's my me time, my 60 to 90 minutes of me time where it's, um, it's quiet and I can just selfishly focus on myself and it's like extra lame, but it feels like a trip to the spa to me. I am sweating and I'm working out, but it feels like a place that I can just sort of like relax and um, kind of let it go. That is awesome and healthy. And I'm proud of you for making that commitment every day. Even if you think it's selfish, I actually think it's a really good thing. Missy, well, uh, final party words, anything else you want to say to encourage people to support Boys and Girls Clubs and continue the good work y'all are doing? I think that uh, I've learned so much about this organization in the last two and a half years. And I recognize that um, my my Lafayette experience, my Acadiana experience was incredibly privileged. And uh, the reason I didn't know about the Boys and Girls Club is because I didn't need it. Um, When people are looking around this community and wondering how they can make it better, I really hope that in some capacity, we're all investing in kids in some way. Um, Surely we invest in our own kids each and every day. Uh, in our own homes, but let's really think broader about all of the kids in our community and how we can, you know, kind of do small acts that that allow all ships to rise. And uh, so if you're looking to give back to an organization, if you're looking to make a very direct impact, um, I want to encourage you to learn more about Boys and Girls Club, reach out to me and talk to me about it. Uh, But investing in kids is really one of the greatest things we can do as a community. And as the leader of this organization, I am so uh, bullish and committed to making this an incredibly quality and impactful program so that when the kids do leave us, we have made a difference in their life and their trajectory is potentially different because of their Boys and Girls Club experience. Uh, Yeah, ditto to everything she said. If you have the capacity find a way to reach out and make our community a better place. Investing in kids is the equivalent, although so much better, um, to the analogy of planting an oak tree 20 years ago so that we can enjoy that shade today. Um, The kids that we support and educate and um, bring up today are the leaders of tomorrow. Missy, thank you for your time and for the work that y'all are doing. We appreciate it. And to all of you, thank you so much for watching and listening. Um, Please subscribe, come back next week, continue to be a part of the Razor Branding Podcast. Thank you all very much.